Hello, Bettys. Welcome to the show. Before we get to our guest today, I just wanted to let you know that we have such an epic list of guests coming up in March. We are talking about menopause. We're talking about autoimmunity. We're talking about muscle building. We're talking about recovery practices. And I don't want you to miss any of it. Even if you are listening to the podcast, you may not necessarily be subscribed. So you're going to have to manually go into your podcast app and press play. I would love for you to hit that subscribe button so that you are getting the podcast as they are released. It's going to make me oh so happy to know that you are a subscriber of the pod. You are officially a Betty in the Bettyverse. And of course, you are never going to miss an episode and be the first to know when it drops. Thank you so much. So from when we were born, in order to get our diaper changed and ourselves fed, we learned very quickly how to interact, smile, what got the people outside of us to come and help us quickly. We then move into our young years and we want our parents to be proud of us. We move into our teenage years and now it shifts to our peers. We move into our adult life and it's our romantic partner. It's our work life if we choose to work outside the home. All of these things start to be external focused. What we do in the process is we override our own internal signals. We forget about the internal data. We're very astute at knowing what everyone in the room needs before we know what we need. It isn't about being perfect. It's about being better. Hello, my name is Dr. Stephanie Stima, and I host expert discussions with thought leaders in all facets of health, including nutrition, fitness, hormones, stress management, performance, recovery, longevity, health span, and energy production. On this show, we discuss complex science, but then we also alchemize it into actionable, everyday living. The ultimate goal with the show is to assist you in making informed decisions about your health and to catapult you into being the hero in your own life. Hello, Bettys. Welcome back to another episode of Better with Dr. Stephanie. It's me, your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. And today I am bringing you a conversation with Dr. Nea Segwan. She is an internal medicine physician. Her private practice focuses on the root cause of stress, miscommunication, and interpersonal conflict, often healing chronic conditions like headaches, insomnia, anxiety, depression, and burnout. She consults with organizations such as the American Heart Association, American Express, Apple, and Google. And as you might imagine, today we are talking about the physical consequences and psychological consequences of stress on the body. So we start by defining what fatigue is, chronic fatigue syndrome, burnout, the difference between burnout and depression. And we go through sort of a body mapping. So how that might show up physically in the body and how we might decipher the signs of burnout and some some of the coping strategies that we might employ. And then we move into hormones. So we talk about the thyroid and we talk about how the thyroid and generally the allopathic model, how it might look at the thyroid gland and some of the markers within it and how we might contrast that with a functional medicine approach to thyroid care. We move into recovery. We talk about how our thoughts can drive our perceptions and the filters that we see. And she gets into some actionable takeaways, which I think you're really going to love in terms of questions that we can ask ourselves for a stressful event and what are the ways that we may be interpreting, potentially misinterpreting data and how we can hone into our internal mechanism as well as looking at external data. I think you are all going to love this conversation. As you'll hear at some 
some point in our conversation, I talk about this idea that, you know, sometimes when I look at the data of the podcast, it seems like people want like hormone talk and they want fitness talk, which are things that I will always talk about because they are near and dear to my heart. And I'm infinitely interested in all the permutations and the rabbit holes that I can go down. And where I notice people sort of tune out is the mindset piece. So Neha and I uh, had a little challenge uh, that we will present to you in terms of changing that conversation. And I think the problem is sometimes the mindset piece is a little intangible. So it's like, well, I don't know how to deal with my stress. So I'm just gonna just show me how to squat. (laughs) So hopefully this, uh, this episode quantifies and qualifies stress for you. Uh, We go through the different phases of burnout, alarm, adaptation, exhaustion. It is a very juicy conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I hope that you enjoy it as well. So please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Neha Sangwan. I am a huge fan of the Bio Optimizers Magnesium Breakthrough. It has seven forms of magnesium, which is going to help to transform your stress and your performance and your recovery and your sleep to the next level. I'm often asked like, well, what are the types of magnesium we should be looking for? So there's magnesium chelate and citrate and bisglycinate and malate, sucrosomial, taurate and orotate. They have various effects on the body. Bisglycinate, probably the most bioavailable and most absorbable. Malate, it's found naturally in fruits, helps with migraines. Chronic pain has been shown to help improve depression. Magnesium citrate uh, helps with arterial stiffness. It helps with maintaining a healthy weight. Magnesium chelate is important for muscle muscle building, recovery and health, the list goes on and on. You're basically getting them all in one supplement. Each supplement itself is 500 milligrams of magnesium, which I feel is such a great dosage as a great baseline for most women. I have found a beautiful medium of actually cycling my magnesium. So I actually will take one or two of these. So I'm either getting 500 milligrams or up to a gram of magnesium, depending on where I am in my cycle. So head on over to biooptimizers.com forward slash better and use code better for 10% off of any order, but make sure that the magnesium breakthrough is in your cart. Don't be fooled by the frigid temperatures. Keeping hydrated in the wintertime is super important. In colder temperatures, we sweat more due to a higher metabolic demand of trying to maintain a core body temperature. We lose more fluids and electrolytes through our urine. We lose more water through respiration and just general breathing. And our skin dries out in the wintertime as well. We are a ski family, and over this winter, we have been using Elementee's Chocolate Medley. The chocolate chai is absolutely incredible with some boiling water, a splash of milk, and my kids love the chocolate mint with some hot water. This is our ski. We cozy up with Element Hot After Hours on our cross-country trails. Now, for a limited time, you too can get the Element Tea Chocolate Medley and enjoy them hot as I have been doing with this exclusive insider bundle for you. When you buy three boxes of any flavor, it doesn't have to be the chocolate, it can be any of the flavors that they offer, you are going to get the fourth box free. If you head over to drinkelement.com forward slash Dr. Estima, you'll see that exclusive offer at the bottom of the page. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And tell me which of the chocolate melody you love the best. All right, Dr. Neha Sangwan, welcome to the Better Podcast. I'm delighted to host you today. 
Oh, so fun to be here. Looking forward to it. Yeah. And we're going to be talking about recovery, burnout, stress, some of the things that it does physiologically and psychologically um, to the body. Your new uh, book, Powered by Me, goes through your own personal account of your own experience of burnout. And I think this is going to be a useful conversation. We have a lot of perimenopausal women that listen to the show. And I was reading through some of the list of, you know, symptoms that can show up when, you know, there's a there's a picture in your book with the body scan. <laughs> I was like, well, yes. this is every 45-year-old woman, on the, almost every 45-year-old woman <laughs> on the planet. Um, so maybe let's just start by with some definitions and then we can kind of dive into the juicy bits in terms of how stress and burnout can affect our hormones and things like that. But what what is burnout? Let's define burnout and how that how that maybe differs from a diagnosis of chronic fatigue syndrome are they one and the same let's let's talk a little bit about the differences between the two sure and by the way another another distinction that i get asked often is the distinction between depression and burnout sure let's do that as so well. let's yeah. let's just talk through let's talk through that so First of all, I want to say I'm 53 myself, so smack in the middle of all of this, uh, not only intellectually learning about it, but boy, it's a different experience when you're literally going through it. Um, So burnout. 20 years ago, I burned out as a doctor, and it is the reason when I realized how little I knew about burnout, that I wasn't taught about this in medical school, um, that I didn't even know what was happening to me that I had to sit with a psychiatry colleague and have him explain to me what was going on. And there wasn't much written about it. It was considered back when this happened to me in 2004. In 2003, it was considered a symptom of fatigue. In the 70s, it started to be defined as, you know, researchers started looking at stress and the impact of stress on our physiology and each cell. How do, how do we respond to it? But by 2003, all I could find is, oh, it means someone's you know pretty exhausted. Well, let's just say, fast forward to 2019, the World Health Organization now will say that it is a collection of symptoms called a syndrome. And they give it some definition that's a little bit like this, chronic unmanaged stress at work. Just at work? Yeah, that's what I say. I say, listen, thank you for your progress. Now you realize it's like a collection of symptoms, but it's not a diagnosis. It's not a medical diagnosis and it's confined to work. And what I can tell you in the decades that I've been a doctor and I've experienced this myself and I've taken care of so many patients, clients, companies, uh, the world, I don't care where your stress comes from. It can come in your personal life. It can come from raising children. It can come from having aging parents. It can come from trouble in your relationship. It can come from anywhere. And your body doesn't care where it's coming from. (laughs) So here's my hope. My hope is that in the future, that gets expanded. That definition expands to include stress from anywhere in your life. And so what do they define uh, burnout as? It's a triad. So the first... Uh, leg of the triad is exhaustion, physical, mental, emotional exhaustion. And it's not something that happens quickly. It's something, it's not like you're fine on Monday and not okay on Friday. You're way too sophisticated for that. Mother nature is way too sophisticated. 
So you've been adjusting, just like your blood pressure and your heart rate all adjust, your hormones all adjust. So too, uh, does your physiology adjust to the stress? So this has been going on for a while, this exhaustion. And next leg comes in cynicism. Cynicism is like that voice in your head that starts to talk to you silently and say things like, it doesn't matter how hard I try. It's, it's not going to make a difference. It doesn't matter anyway. Like all the energy and effort that I'm putting forth. And all of a sudden, like an undertow when you're walking on the beach, it's you're starting to go against yourself. You can feel it but you can't see it. It's not out loud. It, it's like this, this experience that starts undermining you. What's going to happen is in the process of you using more and more of your coping mechanisms, which we'll talk about in a moment, you have now exceeded your ability to adjust. And now you're starting to lose your, your own thought process along with this exhaustion and what you might do, even if you're lonely or you're isolated or you're feeling like you really need connection, you might actually start distancing yourself from others because not because you don't want to connect, but because you don't have the energy for social connection. So it's called depersonalization. The third leg is ineffectiveness. You now are less effective at your job, at whatever it is you're doing, at you just start to find it. Things are taking you longer. You're not as effective. So the triad, exhaustion, cynicism, which also includes that distancing and depersonalization, as well as ineffectiveness. So I think starting there to demystify, what is this thing called burnout? That's what it is. That's how it's defined. And then the piece that I told you, which was you're not fine on Monday and burned out on Friday. That's not how it works. It's an ongoing adjustment where you start to run out of your coping mechanisms. So let's talk about those for a minute. Coping mechanisms. So I am an engineer. Uh, I went to engineering school. Uh, and then as every good Indian child does, I went on to medical school. Um, and so you can imagine in my 20s, just the amount of adjusting and coping uh, that was happening for me to do all of that. Well, when they asked me to take 36 hour shifts in the hospital, that goes against my own biology. Just like if you're a mom and you have kids and they're up in the middle of the night, they need you. Like it goes against your biology and you're someone who's trying to meet the reality of your world. So what do you do? You're a genius. You come up with ways, right? And so mine was two ice cold 16 ounce Mountain Dews plus a king size Snickers bar. And you could get me up for 36 hours taking care of patients in the hospital. So I call it my sugar caffeine buzz strategy. Now, I'm not going to talk about what that does to me physiologically when I'm crashing from sugar and caffeine and all of that. But it was a good strategy so that no one died in the hospital while I was on call. So when we start doing things like this to get through our days, our weeks, our months, the deadlines, our body starts adjusting, right? Maybe it's putting on some fat in our midsection, which by the way, stress, cortisol directly adds to your belly fat, right? So 
if someone, uh, if ever someone ever complains to me about that, what I say to them is talk to me about your stress levels. Why do I have to talk about my stress levels? My, can't you just tell me what I need to eat and where, I, what I need to do to work out? No, it's all connected. So the last thing that I'll say about this to help people understand. So now they understand the triad of exhaustion, cynicism, and ineffectiveness. Now let's talk about the phases that someone would go through. So when stress starts, it starts in the alarm phase. It's like you're jumping on a treadmill that's going a little bit too fast. It's like that startling experience. So once that happens, your body can adjust to that. You're made for that. Except our lives stay on that, tend to stay on that treadmill. And in fact, we tend to turn the, the speed up a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And when that alarm phase of our life becomes our regular life, we've adjusted to that. We move into the second phase of burnout called chronic adaptation, where it's everything I was talking to you about. I'm using the Mountain Dew. I'm using the Snickers bar. I've got a glass of, I take a glass of, you know, wine after work to get the edge off. I, I might just find myself scrolling endlessly on social media and not realize that half an hour just passed. Whatever your retail therapy, whatever your strategy is, it's gotten you through some tough times, but now you're in chronic adaptation where you're you're doing these things just to get by. Or you say something like, I'll sleep on the weekend or I'll sleep when I'm dead, right? You're trying to cut out your body's biological needs in order to adjust. So you're in the second phase, chronic adaptation. And then one more thing happens, whether it's the pandemic, whether it's one more you know, call or phone call from somebody, something happens and you go sliding down the slippery slope of burnout to hitting a wall of ineffectiveness. And that's in the exhaustion phase of burnout. And that's when you have to be off on medical leave. You, you know, it's, it becomes a medical, you know, you, we've got to do something. So it's true that exhaustion is a phase and exhaustion is also a symptom in the triad that I told you about. That's true. It's a little confusing, but um, I want people to know what to look for and I want them to know that it's over time. Yeah, and it was interesting in the book you were um, accounting in your own story. You know, you started a shift like any other shift. It seemed like it was, you know, didn't feel like you were going to burn out that day. And then it just, you know, I think you were having a conversation. You know, you'd said something multiple times. The nurse was like, hey, are you all right? Like, are we, <laughs> you said the same thing in four minutes. You said the same sentence, you know, four times in four minutes or yeah, uh, whatever the frequency was. And then you just completely collapsed. And it was the proverbial, you know, straw that broke um, the camel's back. And I'm surprised by it all. That's like the fascinating thing. I've been adjusting in chronic adaptation for so long that I think it's normal. And it's so not normal. And so I just want everyone to just take a moment. If you recognize yourself in any of what we're talking about, be kind to yourself. You are a superwoman. You are a superhuman because you have been figuring out ways to adapt your biology to the pace of this external world that we've all created. It's moving fast. And it's a, there's a bit of an evolutionary or a biological mismatch, right? So, you know, you were talking about, oh, I'll sleep when I'm dead or I'll sleep on the <laughs> weekend or, you know, there, there, there are these sort of cultural um, assumptions 
uh, in people with people, whether you're a mother, whether you're a doctor, you know, you're both. <laughs> so you have, you know, double-edged sword in that case. Whether um, you're a daughter, whether you're a sister. Yeah. You know, really, it's it, it doesn't just existing in our world today feels a bit chaotic. Right. So what is the, if you can tell me the difference between burnout and depression, what are some of the symptoms, the differing clinical symptoms and presentations that someone might experience? Sure. So this is a bit of a debate in in the clinical world. Uh, and I'm just going to tell you, you know, in the decades that I've been doing this, the differences I see and the similarities. So burnout and depression can come together, but they don't necessarily have to. Someone can feel like depression is an energy of hopelessness, helplessness, like just feeling uh, like I think of it as like quicksand energy. It's kind of someone's had a loss or multiple losses. And it's just like almost like a, a surrendering almost uh, experience. Sometimes there's physical causes as well. And so you want to separate out, you know, sometimes there's physical causes, sometimes there's emotional uh, causes there. When you talk about burnout, right? Burnout, and, and that can happen suddenly, by the way, depression can happen suddenly. There can be like a loss of a child, of a relationship, of a job, like something can happen pretty quickly. Burnout is something that happens over time. And it's oftentimes, you know, the metaphors people will use is like a matchstick, um, you know, burning out. And so it usually has like a, a more tense energy. There's like a, a fight going on. Like, I want to change the healthcare system. I want to change the education system. I want to change another human. <laughs> we've got this energy of what we want to do and accomplish. And we've been working at it, it almost feels like pushing a boulder uphill. And then in the later phases of burnout, burnout can, uh, in that exhaustion phase, go through depression where it's like, oh, like nothing's going to work, like everything I'm trying. So what I want people to know is they can overlap, but they do not necessarily show up together. And if someone wants more information, because trauma and how trauma plays a role in all of this is really important because trauma can be something can be traumatic in your life. There can be an event or something that happened to you. But trauma also comes from just you being a child and your needs not getting met. Maybe you weren't seen. Maybe you weren't heard. Maybe you didn't feel important. And that also can cause experiences that when they're triggered later in a relationship, uh, something familiar uh, happens, uh, can also lead you into depression. Uh, sometimes in the middle of you burning out, it can be the thing that tips you down the path. So what I'd say is if you want to learn more about trauma, uh, I would refer people to uh the Wisdom of Trauma movie or by Gabor Mate or any of Gabor Mate's work. Um, that's who teaches me about trauma. Um, but these are kind of the, you know, you have to really what I'm trying to tell you is you have to really put it in context. And you have to, in order to understand this, just like your physical health, just like the physical signals inside you, please put things in context and understand in what order you want to explore them. So make sure you have a clean bill of physical health. 
then you start paying attention to your physical signals. Then if you want to understand if emotions are playing a role here, you want to just understand if it's burnout or depression, uh, ask yourself, like, is it this, has it been this tense fighting energy for something, change something? Has it been more quicksand? Was it more sudden? Was it more, you know, that kind of an energy? So I think, you you know, these are some of the ways that I, as I'm listening to someone, start to ask questions and piece things together. So let's work through, I was saying to you, um, the body map. I was looking at this and I was like, this is every perimenopausal woman. Uh, and part of the part of the book, you talk about this idea of um, doing a bit of a body check, like scanning the body to see how you're feeling because your body is always talking to us. Whether or not we decode the symptoms is another you know, story altogether, which I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on today. But maybe just as a, as a guidepost for our listeners, you know, you've been talking about some of them already in the alarm, adaptation, and exhaustion mm-hmm. phase. But what are some of the signs in the body uh, you know, you and you talked about your throat tightness, um, okay. and we can we can touch on that. But you know, if we kind of go from top to bottom, if you can give me a couple of symptoms, or you know, if you if you recall all of them in the book, maybe we can talk about some of the symptoms that might be popping up on a on a daily basis, and maybe comment on you know sort of severity, frequency, you know, intensity of the symptoms. You bet. Yeah. So I think one of the most important things we need to navigate our world today is to be able to decipher what you just mentioned, which is our body map. And what I mean by that is we are all, we've become very externally focused. So from when we were born, in order to get our diaper changed and ourselves fed, we learned very quickly how to interact, smile, what got the people outside of us to come and help us quickly. We got very good at that. When we saw that they laughed and they came, we did more of that, whatever that was. We then move into our young years and we want our parents to be proud of us. We move into our teenage years and now it shifts to our peers. We move into our adult life and it's our romantic partner. It's our work life if we choose to work outside the home. All of these things start to be external focused. What we do in the process is we override our own internal signals. We forget about the internal data. We're very astute at knowing what everyone in the room needs before we know what we need. That becomes a very natural progression. And so not for everybody. Uh, Sometimes if people have had illness, sometimes if they've had a crisis, sometimes if they're more sensitive or intuitive, they will be tuned in. But this is the reason that we've learned to accomplish in the external world. And the way we do it is getting rid of these uncomfortable sensations inside us. What I'd love to do is turn that all around and say, this is now going to be your superpower. You picking up the signals in your body early, deciphering the language of your body, knowing what it means. So your body's always talking, always. The question is, are you listening? And so it's your physiology that I'm talking about, physical signals. So right here, you and I on this podcast, if I check in and I would say, I do feel a little slight, slight tense here, uh, tenseness here, but I would say for the most part, I feel a little bit uh, right here, but for the most part, my body, my muscles are relaxed and 
uh, I feel at ease. Like I'm, a, I have a little bit of excitement, like, oh, this is going to be fun. Like I'm, I'm going to, you know, connect. We're going to have this new conversation. So I can feel it here. I can feel it here. The rest of me feels relaxed and fun. Okay. Like uh, relaxed and at ease. Okay. So that's the way that my body talks to me when it just wants to chat with me. It wants to like say, hey, like, how you feeling right now in this interaction? You just met someone new, you know, how's this going? So it's giving me those signals, okay? When you're talking about perimenopause, you're talking about menopause. Now what you're talking about are physical signals that your body is giving you. For me, it's hot flashes. For me, it's an altered sleep pattern. For me, sometimes it's headaches, right? But what I want everyone to know is just because it shows up, excitement shows up here and here for me, for you, it may show up flushing, uh, warmth. It may show up. So if we start from the top, right? Sometimes people feel like they even say they feel a little lightheaded. All right. So first of all, before I give you any of these symptoms, here's what I want you to know. You have new symptoms. The first place you're going is to your medical provider to figure out if something else is going on. If they give you a clean bill of health, now you're deciphering. If they say you're fine, but you don't feel fine, now you want to say, huh, I wonder what that means. There's a message that's coming to me here. I wonder what it means. So start from the top. Maybe maybe you feel like a little bit foggy. Maybe there's some, uh, not, I wouldn't say dizziness is going to be a problem. Like if, if you're literally having dizziness, that's going to, but if you feel a little bit like light, lightheaded or something like that, sometimes headaches or a little dull, dull ache, sometimes jaw tension, sometimes throat constriction, sometimes a little bit of, uh, as, as a doctor, as soon as I say a little bit of chest tightness, I'm like, oh boy, please get that checked out. But shoulder discomfort, oh, like I just noticed one or both, neck, right? Um, sometimes it's uh, chest, the muscles are tight here. If you don't know the difference uh, of what that is, if you haven't had it checked out, that one you definitely have to get checked out. Your heart might be racing. It might be stomach churning, knots, butterflies. It might feel like a rock in there. Lots of nerves in your gut. By the way, your brain and your spinal cord, huge number of nerves. Your heart, lots and lots of nerves. And your gut. So those are the three big centers in your world that have nerves. So if you're experiencing anything, you're going to have sensations there that you have to decipher. Are these physical or might these be something else? All right. So now we're in our stomach and our gut, sometimes tightness in our hips, um, tension. A lot of times as uh, women in the world, um, we're taught to suck it in, you know, like pull in your stomach, pull in your gut. What I have to tell you is it stops us from breathing because to breathe and breathe fully and get good oxygen exchange, you actually have to relax your abdomen and take nice, slow, deep breaths, which takes your diaphragm, which is an umbrella shaped thin muscle, flattens it so the air can come in, which triggers your vagus nerve and calms you down, slows your heart rate. So the reason I'm telling you that is if you start having uncomfortable sensations, your body will go to protect itself. It will contract. And you actually want to do the opposite. You want to relax into your body, let it know it's there's no danger, and take a nice, slow, deep breath, and that will bring your heart racing down. That's So it's almost the opposite. Some other things, maybe hip tightness, but sometimes you feel tension, cramping, 
in your legs. So those are some body map, um, you know, some common ones that people sometimes feel, but you got to decipher is your body. Are you just in dialogue? Is your body just helping you adjust to the world around you and let you know whether you're comfortable or moving out of your comfort zone? Is it giving you a physical signal? Okay. Those are low intensity. They happen kind of, you know, infrequently they might pass a little higher intensity is like, Oh, now I'm not sleeping. I'm waking up, you know, every morning at four o'clock. Um, or wow, I'm, I'm having hot flashes. Like this is a wave moving through me. These are going to be higher intensity, sometimes more frequent. And then there's the experience when your body is telling you something's breaking down, like crushing chest pain, like you're starting to come down with something and it's consistent, right? So there's like a, a whole spectrum of how your body talks to you. And there's also the, the intensity and frequency you want to pay attention to because if it's subtle and it's just kind of like me noticing I'm on a podcast with you and if I not just talk to you and talk to everyone listening, but I also have this simultaneous awareness of what's happening inside me as I do it, that's going to give me a lot of great information. Wonderfully said. And I think, um, you know, to your point, I'll sort of just highlight it because I think that it is important to understand that there is a scale of um, how you're feeling. So you've been talking about sort of mild, moderate and marked, uh, you know, symptoms. And certainly, yeah. you know, to your point around, you know, if you have a headache, we want to, you know, we want to rule out, you know, there, there are things that we want to rule out, let's say. So we want to get the yeah. clean bill of health, as you were mentioning. Physically. Um, physically. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, we don't want you to sort of, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm maybe, you know, if you're having like a subarachnoid hemorrhage or something, it's like, <laughs> we, we want it. We want, we want you in the hospital for that. We don't want you yeah. doing a body scan. Right. Exactly. I loved what you said about throat tightness, because I really identified with that myself. Um, you were saying, you know, your throat would get a bit verklempt or a bit tight, you know, in, in, you know, certain situations in, you know, now in our, our dialogue, you know, if you kind of check in, you can kind of feel it. And for years, that was also my signal. It was oh. that my throat would get tight. I would actually feel quite a bit of tension. Um, and so my, for me, um, in order to, we'll say, move the energy in. So mm -hmm. I would always get tight. Like, you know, if you were talk about chakras, you know, I don't talk a lot about chakras because I don't know enough about them. But like the two areas for me are like throat and heart. Like these are the two areas that would wow. always kind of feel compressed and um, almost like there was like an anaconda or something like squeezing in and, and kind That's of right. crushing those areas. And so what I started doing, and I've never, I don't think I've ever said this on the podcast before, but I've, I've, I actually hired a singing coach. So I meet with a coach every week and we sing, like we just do the, you know, the fifths and la, 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 you know, like we just I do that stuff, that. but it's a way for me to sort of move my energy. And then he also plays with my ranges and it's like, it's just like a great, I have the best, you know, it's like half an hour, uh, of my week. Um, and so I, my, my question and in sharing that is, if somebody does say, hey, you know what, it is my throat, or maybe it is my chest that feels compressed, or maybe I feel lightheaded, or I have, mm -hmm. you know, muscle uh, pain, is there a remedy that needs to be like a physical remedy? You know, if you know that it's your throat, like maybe it's singing, singing lessons in, in the example that I shared, or maybe if it's muscle tightness, like maybe it's a massage, or maybe it's, um, you know, some type of lymphatic 
drainage or maybe it's a hot shower, you know, to help relax the muscles. Do you recommend sort of mm-hmm. based on the physicality or how the how the patient is presenting, let's say, are there sort of equivalent um, therapeutics that the, that someone might engage in to help relieve some of those symptoms? Or do we not want to get rid of those symptoms? Do we want mm. to always be listening to them? Oh, Stephanie, this is such a good question. It has, it has a few parts. Uh, the first one is, it depends. So I'll tell you for me, in my younger years, uh, it, it's connected to your whole life. So all of this is connected. So when I was young, I went away with my grandparents. Indian In Indian culture, you pass kids around like to an extended family. You don't really think about it. So I lived with my grandparents for a few years. And then when I was brought back into my family, my older sister, who was a year and a half older than me, she was three and a half, and I was two. She didn't want me there. I was like a threat. Why would you want to share your parents with another child? Who, by the way, isn't a floppy baby you can control, is a two-year-old who thinks she's an only child. Mm-hmm. So she started... I was, I was devastated. And I don't think anyone in my family realized what you just did, right? Which is remove a child from who they think their parents are. Right. So I cried and cried and cried for 26, 28 days. And my parents like didn't know what to do with me. Like this, this kid is so devastated. Right. And then my older sister's like, get this one out of here. She's trouble. So I literally realized when I realized I wasn't going back, shut my voice down, shut my emotions down and realized it wasn't safe anymore in the world for me to speak or express emotions. I became the trouble. So I shut everything down. And what I'll tell you is, and I also got bullied for quite a while. And so what I will tell you is it wasn't until my thirties when I burned out that I realized, I asked, I I talked to doctors into scoping my throat, putting me under anesthesia and scoping my throat as I was learning about throat cancer and all these ways that people, you know, their bodies break down. The second one got me off the table and said, what do you do for a living? And I said, oh, I'm a fourth year medical student. And he looked at me and he said, oh, this is your stress response. This isn't, this isn't cancer. I have to tell you, there's a part of me that was relieved that it wasn't cancer, but the other part of me was like, so do I just have to live with this? Is that what you're saying? That almost seemed like a sentence, but it wasn't until I burned out and learned about mind-body medicine and the connection that I really want to say something that people may think is radical. Once you get a clean bill of health physically, Yes, there are physical ways. Like, I love that you sing to relieve this. That is like getting an inner massage. It is. Oh, Mm -hmm. it's like vibration. You know what I've always loved since I was a little girl? Chanting. Mm. You know, like the repetition of, you know, phrases with, with just soothing music. I've always loved that. My mom said all the other kids wanted to go out and play. And you just wanted to sit with the adults and chant. And now I understand why. I understand why, because that was where my throat settled down. So here's the thing. Yes, there are ways that you can soothe that so you're not feeling the discomfort and the pain of it. But once you do that, and once you center yourself, Now it's time to get curious about what your body is trying to say to you. 
So there's a few pieces to this. Yes, I want you to uh, know I, I'm a big fan of weekly massages and, you know, I work hard and, and it feels great in my body. But here's what was going on for me that I discovered later. So first of all, the only ailment I have, thyroid. I have autoimmune thyroid. When I would shut down, think about autoimmune, your body's defense system your immune system that is supposed to fight external threats flips and fights you. What did I do? My emotions, my experience when I'm younger, I'm supposed to feel. My heart is supposed to emote. It, in fact, I liken it in the book to, in the, on a GPS system, the blue dot. Like, you are here now. We're like a society that thinks we should shut down our emotions and that they are too messy. They make us look weak and uh, we don't have time for that. Except you know what the truth is? The truth is all emotions are is data saying this is how you're experiencing your life in this moment. So think about it. If you want to know where you're going in the world, do you need to know on a GPS system where you are? You have to know where you are right now. Otherwise, you won't know whether to take the 90 north or the 90 south, right? You have to know. So first thing is when you said, you know, my heart chakra, my throat chakra. Well, throat chakra is about speaking your truth. It's about being able to say what is true. It is no surprise to me that you have got an incredible podcast. <laughs> That's not an accident. I'm like, well, I have to get it out somewhere. So I'm going to start a show. <laughs> and look at this, getting your voice out, right? Singing, the inner massage, all of these things. These are not by chance. And yes, they soothe your physiology. But here's the bigger question. What I learned from my patients was sometimes when they came in, there was a physical cause for what was happening. And sometimes they got a clean bill of health. And what doctors say that I think is, is causes people to lose some faith sometimes in the traditional medical system is when you're experiencing something in your body and I say to you, let's, I'm going to make up chest tightness for me. Okay. So I come in with chest, chest tightness and I'm like, Hey doc, I'm really, I'm really, uh, I'm experiencing this discomfort. Can you help me? And I run all the tests. I do the EKG. I run the test, put you on the stress, all of it. And I say to you, you're fine, but you don't feel fine. There's a discord, a disconnect that happens as you get up and go like, okay, well, that was a waste of time. Like, what am I going to do now? This is what I wish doctors would say. Hey, Neha, here's the good news and here's the bad news. The good news is the electrical rhythm on your EKG looks great. The muscles of your heart are pumping well. Your heart is physically strong and, and doing well. But I know you're having this discomfort. And I'm wondering, is there something unresolved on a mental, emotional, social, and spiritual level going on in your world that maybe you haven't had the time, the bandwidth, or the know-how to deal with? that might be showing up in your physical body to get your attention. That's my dream for what every medical provider 
would say to their patient once they got a clean bill of health. So I don't know how that strikes you, but what I'll say is this little girl, I know exactly why my body shows up here. It's letting me know that I am not speaking my truth, that I am holding back, that I am not sharing what's in my heart with the world. And it is not by surprise that I went through engineering, went to medicine, went to executive coaching. I'm a speaker, author, all of these things. Why do I do this in the world? Because I finally found my purpose, which is to teach myself and others how to use the interconnectedness of our body, listen to these signals, and be able to speak authentically in the world so that we have true connection with one another. So it's your body telling you. It might seem annoying, but that's not what it is. It's this patient, loving partner of yours, which is your body wanting to align with your mind, with your heart, with what your soul tells you is your unique reason for being here on earth. And it's trying to nudge you there. And so I love this singing. It's uh, You definitely got me jazzed uh, with that because you just helped me make the connection to why I love chanting. So thank you. Because I'm not a good singer. No one needs to hear me sing. <laughs> you're, Mar- you're Mariah Carey in the shower, but that's it, that's right? right. <laughs> and like when you're driving down the road and yeah. I'm like singing really loud and then I look and someone's looking at me uh, at the yeah. stoplight. Yeah. That's yeah. The me. car, the car has good acoustics as well. No, I, I love what you're saying in terms of the messaging, uh, you know, if you were to go to your primary healthcare provider and for them to be able to quantify and qualify uh, your physiology as well as your psychology. I think probably as someone who has gone through, you know, professionals, like it's, it's almost, there's just no room for, I just, I'm I'm like, where does that come in in the curriculum? You know, like Mm. I remember four years of just anatomy, physiology, dissection, biomechanics, (laughs) you know, it's like, and where does the, and where does the bedside manner, you know, and, and that's really what, you know, I often um, you know, when I've spoken to other doctors and, and other coaches, like that's kind of what makes or breaks a good doctor or a good coach. It's not how many years you study, like you could know your stuff better. I mean, you got to, you know, you have to learn enough to pass your boards and all that, but it's your bedside manner that I think really leaves an impact on the patient because they not, they're not, they're probably, they don't have the training. So they're probably not going to remember what you said to them, but they're mm-hmm. going to remember how you made them feel. Did they feel yeah. heard? Did they feel understood? Did they feel like they were being spoken down to? So I do think that there is, um, I, I think right now, the way that um, the schooling is set up, um, there needs to be, you know, I think more nutrition. I think that there needs to be more lifestyle and more stress management and mitigation, as you're saying. Um, and maybe that's more schooling. Maybe it's I'm not sure, but there needs to be some rejigging somewhere um, in the curriculum. I think it's of like our integration. Yeah, it's an integrated schooling. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's it. It's more integrated. You know? right. Yeah, so maybe like more allied professionals that have that they're just all, that's all that they're doing is figuring out. Okay, so there's no physiology here. Like maybe we can look at the psychology and see if there's something there. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, uh, even that it is physiology. So psychoneuroimmunology, right? Pennebaker's work, there's research on this, where Pennebaker took patients who were struggling from things like arthritis and had pain in different areas of their body and had them journal 
for 20 minutes a day about the experience emotionally that was going on. And in four days of 20 minutes a day of journaling, could measure in their blood a boost in their immune system. Oh, wow. Like, like wow. And what were like, they seeing? Were they seeing increase in T cells? What, 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 you what know, I am not remembering. I'm going to need to look uh, on the immune markers. I haven't read it in a while, but it's mm. Pennebaker's work. It's pretty, pretty universally. I know I even cite it in my book, but I should go back and see the exact um, immune boost. But he could physically measure it. And so this idea of if only in four days of us connecting to our emotions, connecting psycho, okay, so my my thoughts uh, and emotions, my neuro, my nervous system is connected to my immune system. And so that's what I was saying when you were saying, how would we educate differently? Well, I hope we would connect the dots. I hope that we wouldn't compartmentalize like, Oh, something's wrong with your skin. Then that must mean you go to a dermatologist. Oh, something's wrong with your lungs. Go to a pulmonologist. Like that's not how our body works. Our body is actually quite connected. And so I think the integration is probably the biggest, um, aha for me. When I realized that so many people were coming to me and didn't know how to navigate their body's physical signals. They didn't know how, or if they knew that they were having them, they didn't know how to decipher them. I was like, oh, well, then we can't, we're going to think emotions don't matter. We're going to think anything uncomfortable doesn't matter because we don't have a way to navigate it. If what we're doing is navigating our life from the outside in, if what we're saying is we're going to be driftwood in the ocean and we're going to go any way that the wind blows, and that's how we're we're functioning. We're going to find ourselves overwhelmed and feeling like we're in a chaotic world. My goal for everybody is to actually lead from the inside out where you become a sailboat with a rudder, where you are influenced by the wind, but you chart your own course. So it's a big difference, right? Drift yeah. in the ocean versus... And the way that you do this is by figuring out the deciphering the physical signals that come to you the earliest in your body, how you know when you're in a conversation with someone, whether things resonate or they don't. You know how you know that? You know that not by how they respond, but how the physical signals in your body feel relaxed at ease and light and open or feel tight and constricted and heavy, right? Like, oh, that didn't feel good. So we have to start working from the inside out. And I think that's a different way than a lot of people function. Yeah, well said. I am incredibly bullish on sauna as a therapy for recovery, heart health, and overall aging well. I personally decided on an infrared sauna from Sunlighten because of the range of far wavelengths and near infrared wavelengths that it offers. Saunas help with detoxification and rejuvenation to rid your body of toxins. It helps with heart health by improving circulation, reducing blood pressure, and helping keep the arteries supple. It helps with muscle recovery by easing the tension and soreness to recover faster. And of course, stress reduction with the warmth and the relaxation of sitting in a sauna. It's crucial for hormonal balance and achieving a state of well-being necessary for a strong physique and a strong mind. If you visit sunlighten.com slash better and use code better to get a discount. That is sunlighten, S-U-N-L-I-G-H-T-E-N.com slash B-E-T-T-E-R and use code better at checkout.
Let's let's come back to you. You mentioned um, thyroid and autoimmunity, and I wanted to make sure that we did speak a little bit about the physiological implications of chronic, unmanaged, or unprocessed stress. And certainly, you know, I, I maybe should have said this at the beginning of our conversation for the listener, but I'm, you know, our listeners are very smart. But obviously, we are distinct. We're making a distinction between acute stressors, like a hormetic stressor, like exercise, and what we're talking about today is obviously chronic, unrelenting, unprocessed stress that continues to accumulate in the body. Um, And so let's talk a little bit about thyroid. I can't tell you how many people, women that write into my help desk every week that are like, my doctor is refusing to do a full thyroid panel because we have a we have a handout uh, for patients. It's a downloadable, like here's all the full thyroid, full lipids. Here's the optimal range, you know, so that you, so that my, you know, the people that do pick that hand, uh, handbook up can say, oh, okay. So these are some of the goalposts potentially that I want to work towards, obviously with their PCP as well. Right. So I want to talk a little bit about the physiological implications on thyroid. So you mentioned uh, autoimmunity. Let's talk a little bit about some of the markers that we might think about for thyroid health. Sure. The traditional ones. um, And then maybe where, you know, we want to talk a little bit more about a functional medicine approach, which is what I would just call very simply a full thyroid panel. So what what are some of the uh, sort of thyroid panels that you might get with 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 a physician um, who doesn't have any functional medicine training, let's say, and then what are some of the lab markers or biomarkers that we want to be looking for as a, to take sort of a more of a holistic, um, approach to thyroid health. All right. So let's, let's back up here in medical school. What most of us are trained to look at, right. Is T3, T4, free T3. So for those of you listening that just want a refresher, There's active thyroid and there's inactive thyroid. So T4 is the inactive thyroid, and it must get converted uh, in a process to the T3, active. So total thyroid doesn't actually give you how much is active and how much is inactive, right? The other thing is sometimes people get synthetic thyroid replacement, um, because there's something called TSH, the thyroid stimulating hormone, which goes up where your body is saying, uh, thyroid's low, stimulate making thyroid, TSH. So when the thyroid boosts, it's how the body knows it needs to make more thyroid. Okay. So the simplest way that people look at it is, oh, there's an elevated TSH. They must have low thyroid. And then let's just look at T3, T4, and or perhaps total thyroid. Okay. Now, when you replace this, replace someone's thyroid. So first of all, the measuring is often, there's like, you don't need to know all the units and everything, but 0.5 to 5.5 is like a lab value where we we look at TSH. The problem is that oftentimes where these standardized test values come from, is what are the average thyroid of everybody in the hospital, all the lab values, and then let's like see what the range of normal is. Okay, first of all, why did we pick the lab values and take a subset of the population which is in the hospital? Like that's not a general population of thyroid. So when someone's, if you, I would tell anybody listening, I know you have like a very simple way where, Pay attention to your symptom 
outcomes more than the numbers. <laughs> so my rule of thumb is if, if normal TSH, thyroid stimulating hormones, is from 0.5 to 5.5, okay, I want you to know that when I was 27 years old, I felt so lethargic. I didn't know what to do. And I had a TSH of eight. Wow. Okay. Doesn't, doesn't seem terribly out of range. And I have to tell you, even at five, TSH of five, I was like dragging, like I couldn't get out of bed and I was a resident. Okay. So for me, I had to get my TSH down to one near 1.0, because that's what worked properly for my body. So if you have a provider that runs the basic numbers and is like, oh, you're fine, but you have brittle or coarse nails, you have, you know, extreme cold sensitivity, you are, you're experiencing the symptoms, right? With a memory concentration, you're struggling with a bunch of, you know, Basically, what thyroid is, is it's like the engine of your body. It's like the metabolism that runs everything. So if you're experiencing these symptoms and someone says, oh, I ran your tests and they're fine. You know what? The range of standardized testing from 0.5 to 5.5, first of all, I'm not sure why we did it on a bunch of hospitalized people to determine that that's not the norm. And if you are different than that, or you get your test back and they're different, this is when I say to you, please trust yourself. Please trust your biology because it's telling you, you need to, you need to explore something else. You're not crazy. This is you noticing what's happening. Okay. Next step, functional medicine. Functional medicine is going to look at things because they look at things in an interconnected systems way that we were talking about, like we did psychoneuroimmunology. Well, what functional medicine knows is 60%, 60, 60% of your immune system sits in your gut. In it's, it's in the third part of your small intestine and it's called Peyer's patches. Why would more than half of your body's defense system be located in one area of your body? Well, because the biggest offender is what I take from the outside world. The biggest danger would be what I'm taking from the outside world and putting into me. So in fact, your body's like brilliant. It has all of this uh, immune uh, function there. Well, what functional medicine knows is your what you're eating and how it's being received or not is connected to your emotions, to your stress levels. All these things are interconnected. And so what it's doing is it's looking for things like reverse T3. It's looking for ways in which, oh, wow, Neha's not just having low thyroid. Neha has an autoimmune function. Well, what do I do? I tie that to my mental, emotional and spiritual world. Yeah, I shut myself down. I had trauma. What what felt like trauma for me at two years old when I left my grandparents, who I thought were my parents, and I came into a world where I was bullied and I shut everything down. Not only did I shut down speaking, I shut down my emotions. I just got very quiet, very compliant, and I became a people pleaser. There are people in our lives, there are experiences that we so adeptly adjusted to for our own survival. And the body keeps the score for sure.
And so, yes, we can talk about things only, you know, on a physical level. I guess what I really want you to know is more than anything, when you tune into your body's unique language that we've been speaking about, the physical signals your body gives you, and you learn how to decipher what in what situations is my throat tight? In what situations is it open and alive and connected? I know now, not only is it singing that connects to you, whoever your coach is, you have a connection there. There's an openness, there's a freedom, there's a joy that comes through you that is not just about the physical vibration of your throat. And to me, what you were saying earlier about bedside manner and all of that, I think what makes a coach, uh, a podcast, a doctor, more than those names and actually helps them become healers is because they connect to more than just the thing they're doing. They are have a connection to their own heart. They have a connection to something higher, an impact they want to make. They have a connection to you as a human being. And now you're talking. Now you're talking about healing. And that's different than me at the end of my visit saying to you, okay, well, I know you don't have a heart attack or you have a heart attack. We got you through the heart attack. Now take these three pills and I'll see you in two weeks. That's a different interaction than, hey, can I talk to you about what's going on here? And can I help you connect it to your mental, emotional, social, spiritual world? And I want to, um, if you're open to it, I want to share with your audience the five questions I used to ask my patients once I got them through the physical ailment. So That's even nice. when, even when there's a breakdown, a breakdown, a heart attack, a stroke, a pneumonia, whatever it is. When I was on leave, what I learned in the research was that more than 80% of, uh, so stress causes or exacerbates more than 80% of all illness, physical illness. So I was like, well, why are we not asking our patients what's at the root of their stress? So my colleagues said to me, some version of this, uh, many of them gave me a version of this. Well, Neha, just like you wouldn't order a test that you don't know what to do with the result, why would you ask a question that you didn't know what to do with the answer? And that is that made me so upset because my answer to them was, because everybody's depending on us to know this. So we got to figure it out. And that's really why I wrote Powered by Me. It's my answer to the gap in healthcare where you're stressed out. Maybe you, if you're at work, you go to EAP, the Employee Assistance Program to get help. Well, they send you to me. Do you know what I give you? I have some superpowers. I give you paid time off for 10 days or a month off. I give you time off so that we can stop your life from moving at this pace. And then I have the opportunity, once I listen to you, to say an antidepressant, an anti-anxiety, uh, perhaps a sleep medication, something that would shift your physiology back into uh, a more balanced state. And those are fine for the right person, for the right amount of time, for the right ailment. But that is not a long-term strategy. We got to get underneath to the patterns that got you here, to the uh, what can you do differently? And that's your role. You know, your role in inspiring people and engaging them and, and having them listen to their own voice um, is really powerful in shifting how they don't end up there again. So 10 days later, or a month later, the big problem is we send you back in the ring for round two. 
with no awareness of the underlying patterns that got you there, with no tools to do it differently. And then we wonder why it doesn't work. So it's called the awareness prescription. So the night before I would discharge my patients, I would ask them five questions. Once I I wanted to experiment and figure out like, is our physical health actually, like, can this research actually be true? Is our physical health actually connected to our mental, emotional, and, and social, spiritual health? Now, my gut told me it was for me, but I needed to ask patients. So I would say to them, and back then it was like the early 2000s, 2000 to 2010, I would pull out a prescription pad because it was the only thing in my pocket. That's why it became the awareness prescription. And I would say to them, I want to see you again at the grocery store, at the opera, at the theater. I just don't want to see you here in the ER again. So I'm going to give you five questions that I'd like you to think about. And if the nurse tells me you've journaled about them, I'll give you an extra 20 minutes to sit down with you and you and I figure out what's at the root of your stress so that we can help you heal. So question number one, why this? Why our throat? Why a heart attack? Why not your liver? Why not your left leg? Why has this part of your body broken down? And anything they say is right. It's their own intuition coming through them to to tell you what's going on. Um, I'll never forget a woman who said to me, I had to have eye surgery because I literally have not been able to see what's right in front of me in my marriage. Mm. And I was like, wow. Oh my God. Like big. Yeah. Right. So people have their own. There was another one who was a diabetic who had to get his leg amputated. And his answer was, I had to cut off, get a part of my body cut off in order to realize that I'm cutting off like everything that matters in my life. And I was like, okay, I get it. Like that's an extreme. And he's like, it's Christmas day. I'm cutting myself off from my family and it is literally cutting off a part of me. I mean, it was, it was so startling how clear they were. Mm -hmm. And even if it's not something that big for you, just pay attention to why this part of your body. Okay. Question number two, why now? Why not three years ago? Why not two weeks from now? What was the message your body needed you to get in this moment that it stopped you in your tracks? Question number three, since hindsight's 2020, what signals, clues, patterns make perfect sense right now that you may not have realized at the time. I wanted them to start to pick up patterns in their life so they could pick up the signals sooner. Question number four, what else in your life needs to be healed? And question number five, if you spoke from the heart, what would you say? Every single one of them knew why they were sick, knew what was at the root of their stress. I stopped counting after 2,700 in a row did it and knew exactly what was happening. But what changed for me as a doctor was rather than getting chocolates, 
flowers and cards from people's families saying, thanks for saving my dad's life from a heart attack and all of this stuff, which were deeply meaningful. What I started getting was a different kind of feedback. Patients themselves started writing me saying, hey, doc, you remember those lifelong migraines that I've been debilitated by? Haven't had one in three months. Hey, doc, you know how that back pain that kept me up at night and I'd have to knock myself out with muscle relaxants and sleep meds? I'm on half the amount of medication. Whatever we talked about, that really worked. And all of a sudden, I started realizing, oh my gosh, this 80% is caught, you know, 80% of all illness is caused or exacerbated by stress. It's got legs. There's something here. But what we're missing is we only engage with people. We've been taught and schooled to stay in our heads and talk about the physical only. And we're missing, we're, we learned a lot. And what we're missing is the connection to the rest of us. And I think that's a big, big piece. Yeah. And I, I, I like what you're, I like these five questions because they, they quantify the stress in a way. So come like I'm, you, you and I, you know, our training is maybe more mechanistic. Yeah. Um, then you can argue that it should have been, or it is, it just is what it is, right? It's very mechanistic. Well, it's we're useful. Just, it's very it's useful, right? Very we're, useful. Yes. In, an, um, in a crisis, in an acute situation, very useful. But when we take the solutions that we've learned and in an acute situation and we do them over and over again and call that a chronic solution, it's not. That's why healthcare is getting more and more expensive by the year. And everyone's like, oh, the price is going up 18 to 20% a year. Well, yeah, uh, we do great crisis care. What we don't do great is chronic care chronic conditions. That's where functional medicine comes in and says, let's connect the dots here. How is this all? How are the systems within us connected? And then the bigger question that I think our world is facing after the pandemic is the emotional roller coaster we went on, yeah. the, the, the resistance people have to connecting their mind, their heart, their soul, their purpose. That is our next frontier. Yeah, I was, I was saying to you before we got going, you know, when, whenever we look at, you know, my team and I, we actually just had a meeting yesterday on, on the show and the, the, the shows that perform really, really well are mm -hmm. where we talk about fitness, where we talk about hormones, where we talk about what's the diet, you know, like all these, and these are all very important pieces of lifestyle. So I'm not yeah. denigrating them in any capacity. You bet. Uh, and not, but, and, uh, I think that, when it comes to the mental resilience and the mental grit um, that would be required to get through a pandemic, that would be required to help with the chronic migraines or the ability to sort of check in. Mm -hmm. uh, what I have noticed, at least from the data, and I'm just looking at data here, so I don't have every single user, I don't have, but I'm sure. looking at which, which of the shows that do the best, the ones with mindset do the worst. Really? So, yeah. Well, I say, I say we change that. Yeah. You want to change that right now? I Let's would change love it. to, because okay. I think, I think that there's so, there's so, I mean, I will all like, I'm always going to talk about hormones and diet and fitness because those are integral parts of my life. And yep. those things have actually in mastering them, in mastering the fitness, mastering the nutrition, mastering all that, those have provided me some mental fortitude as well, right? Going through the process of always being uncomfortable, willingly putting myself in the gym and being uncomfortable. 
that has provided me with some mental resilience. And there's also been parts of my development, let's say, that have been outside of those realms where I've just had to teach myself to sit quietly and do nothing. So as a doctor, I know that you might uh, maybe in a, pa- a past version of yourself might have shuddered at that thought, like what a waste of time. I can tell you that I used to, I was like, oh, meditating. Hmm. It's, it's a waste of time. Like I just, you know, why don't I just meditate while I'm running on the treadmill at the, you know, or just <laughs> when, when I do it, when I'm doing something else, you know, but I do feel that some of these um, tools around developing mental strength is very, it, those directly influence hormones. Those directly influence your fitness. They're, they directly influence your waistline. They direct, you know, as you were talking about with cortisol. So I, I think that people tend to because it's intangible, it's like, well, what is it? Is it tapping? Is it meditation? Is it breath work? Is it asking myself these five questions? You know, it, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things I really like about this framework that you provided, why this, why now, what signals now in hindsight make sense? Um, what else needs to be healed? What would your heart say? These questions are sort of, they bring the ethereal into it, they kind of make it a bit mechanistic in a way that allows us to grab onto it, which is really important. Yeah. Well, that's the engineer in me. The engineer in me is going to take anger, anxiety, uh, tears, things that people think uh, are not practical. They're messy. They're all these things and make them, let, let me break down what we're doing here. Because once we do that, people, I, you know, I, I joke a little bit, like I'm a mechanical and biomedical engineer and an internal medicine physician, except what I have done in the world, like my true work in the world is to build the invisible bridges within us and between us. And one time I was asked at a conference in 50 characters or less to say what I do. And I said, I perform heart surgery without a knife. Hmm. That's great. <laughs> so I think this the, you know, it's Joseph Campbell, but like the, the cave we fear to enter holds the treasure that we seek. And it's not that people don't want to know this. It's that they haven't heard it in a way that makes sense to them, that clicks for them. Now we're talking about my first book. So my first book that I wrote in 2015 is Talk Rx, Talk Prescription. Because when I started doing all of this with patients, I was astounded because about eight, more than 80% of them, when I got these answers, had some version of an inability to communicate with themselves or difficulty in conflict, in, in feedback, communicating with others that they love and lead. And when I realized that communication within us and between us was this big of a driver for stress. I decided I'm going to become a master at communication. And then this is the cool part of how I found my purpose. That happened to be what the little two-year-old gave up to fit into her family. And so when I started to learn about communication, I had a freedom that moved through me and lit me up like singing. Like, it was like, oh, this is like breathing again. This is like, this is what I shut down to survive. So what I'd say here that's so important is let's just, let's just give your, your listeners, let's give them something practical on the mental uh, space that will unlock 
perhaps a way that they're thinking about their thoughts and why why it makes a difference. Okay. Um, let me let me first tie it to physical, and then I'm going to just give you something more general, like even in their dating life or their um, you know love life. Okay, so we'll we'll keep it juicy, keep it interesting, and let's make it really practical so that uh, they realize how important this is. So the first one is. As I started writing books, I drink coconut milk chai. It's like, oh, it like warms my my soul and it gets me through writing. Now, when I do this, I've noticed second book in, I gain about 15 pounds while I write a book. Okay, that's like literally having a book baby. Okay, like literally I'm birthing it through me. Well, I found myself, my mental self, when it was time to go out and promote the book, and even this time. Oh my God, my favorite jeans, my waist is too tight. Like, then I started beating up my body. Oh, you're fat, you're this. Like, I started, and I started noticing that undertow that I was talking to you about that That's started coming in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I decided to do it different. And I want any of you that have struggled with your body to realize that if we don't partner with our bodies rather than push through them, we're going to create that undertow in the ocean that no one else can see, but you can feel. And so rather than that talk that was going on, I want you to notice what I've switched with self-compassion, how I've switched talking to myself. Now, this is what I say to myself. I noticed that the pant was a little tight to button. And I say, thank you, body. Thank you for absorbing the stress that I couldn't. As soon as I'm ready, I will take over. Because you know what the miracle of the human body is? That it expands to absorb stress when we can't. And that as soon as we're ready to take over, we can. That's kind of a miracle. So why would I push through my body to write this book for countless hours on end. And then after it's absorbed all of the stress, I decide to beat it up for expanding. Like that's like a lose-lose situation here. So that's like a simple example that I wanted to just tie because it's one of the ones that's really personal to me uh, and that I'm experiencing currently. Um, so here's the other one. So let's say, let's take something as simple as time. So let's say you and I said we were going to um, meet for lunch at noon uh, at Yolanda's Cafe uh, across from where we work, okay? And I'm new, and you, it's now, you've gone over there, and it's 12.15. You're looking, this is data, okay? This is data in the external world. It's 12.15. You have an empty iced tea that you've drank and an empty seat across from you. And there's no text, no voicemail, nothing from me. What's the first thought that would go through your head? Um, probably, well, the first thought or the or the one I'd replace it with. The first thought would be I've been stood up, and then the second the 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 second thought would be well maybe something came up, something like an emergency came up. I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt. Okay, awesome. Now, what if I was a first date? that you were really excited about meeting for lunch and the same data was there. Tell me what, what your first thought would be. 
Uh, it would be stood up, and I don't know if I would. I don't know if I'd get over to the. Uh, I'm sure something came up that he <laughs> that she couldn't that she couldn't call me and let me know what was going on. I'm like, I've been stood up. I can't believe this. We said twelve o'clock, yeah. and it's twelve fifteen. Yeah. Now, what about if I am someone who has broken trust with you in the past? Um, you've known for a while, and it's a bit of a pain in the butt, but you're you were willing to try this. What would your first thought be? Um, honestly, it would be, here we go again. A, you know, this is the same pattern that we've experienced before. And I've told her how I feel about it. And here, you know, we're at the same, same starting line again, same problem. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the deal. That's, it's all the same data, but what I didn't have you include, which I'd like to include is perhaps stomach turning, heart racing, data on the inside that mm. might also be playing in. Because your first ones might have, you might have still been like, you know, maybe you had a little bit of like, huh, maybe a little jaw tension, a little bit like little throat constrict, like, hmm, I hope everything's okay with her. I hope, uh, do, did I get the right day? Like what? Okay. Versus the date one, which might be heart racing, stomach turning. Oh boy. I think I've been stood up. I, I don't think this person thought I was as cool, you know, whatever it is, um, versus the person who may have broken your trust in the past. And you may have a more intense experience in your body. Like, oh God, here we go again. And your shoulders get, are tight and you slump in your chair and it's like a, a whole different body experience. Okay. So there's three ways, same data. Okay. 1215, Empty iced tea, empty chair, no voicemail, no whatever, maybe slightly different data inside, but physiology, okay? The first way we put data together is we personalize it. We make it about ourselves. Oh my gosh, I think I might have been stood up. Oh my gosh, I'm not cool enough, sexy enough, pretty enough, funny enough. And we make it about us. Okay. Second way, we put the exact same data together. Projection. Yeah. Neha is so rude. Did her parents not teach her uh, manners that you should let someone know if you're going to be late? Or let's say it's it's someone else. Oh my God, he is such a jerk. And we project our discomfort. We're unwilling to feel this discomfort. So we project it on them. Oh, I knew this was going to happen again. This person isn't trustworthy. And now we're we're putting it all out there. Or sometimes it's for people who don't like discomfort, conflict, harm, their harmony seeking. They might do this. Oh my God, I hope their plane landed on time. I hope their boss didn't like keep them at work. Wow, I hope that they didn't get stuck in traffic. Oh, I hope no, an emergency did. And I make it bigger than me or you. Because then it's neither one of our faults. It's something... The government, the leadership, the like, yes. we make it really it's the big. president. It's the, the president, president of the United States. That's, That's right. The problem here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so what I want people to know is there's default mechanisms. So I want you to know, I'm going to go back to that little girl when I was two years old. She didn't know why she was suddenly in so much pain. And that little girl came up with the meaning what did I do wrong to be sent away? Every way that I went, you know, how I told you I became a people pleaser. 
every way that my filter interpreted all the data in the world from then on was, what did I do to make this outcome not be good? And I personalized everything. So you can now understand when I overheard my dad saying he wanted a son who was an engineer and my mom saying she missed her calling to become a doctor. I was like, I'll help you with that. Yeah. And as soon as they weren't mutually exclusive, I was like, I can take care of this. That's the degree to which I believed that the world's data was about me and something I had done wrong. So this is how powerful unlocking your thoughts is in you understanding how you're showing up in the world and behaving in your relationships and how you're getting or not getting what you need in your uh, exchanges. So here's the truth. If you notice that most people channel one of these more than another, okay? So if you have one that you're like, because you're noticing, you kind of went personal, personalization, but then you were like, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. So this is where trust comes in. Mm. Trust. If you trust the other person, you sometimes move to generalization. Sometimes people who want to avoid conflict just go to generalization to stay out of conflict. Sometimes people who had past experiences with people go to projection. Mm. Oh, I knew it was you. You were so unreliable. Your parents, this, that. Okay. Another reason people go to projection it's because it's too uncomfortable to it feel. Hurts. Just, yeah, it, it hurts. hurts too much. Yeah, it yeah. hurts. Mm. And so we channel it. We we deflect it onto other people, and then we go into anger, because if I can get angry and I can make it your fault, I don't have to sit with this, right? And I'm so, absolved, and I'm absolved of any, um, it, you know, any responsibility in this scenario. Yes, and so this is what I want people to know: if you don't know how you're interpreting data from outside you and inside you. Here, let's give them another cool fact. How do you decipher emotions with thoughts? So here we go. If I want you to decipher your body's signals, and let's say it's heart racing and stomach turning, okay? And we want to know someone's like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm now I'm tuned in to my heart racing and my stomach turning, but I don't know what that means. Okay. Well, this is where your thoughts come in to help you. Let's say the scenario around you is that you're about to get on stage to speak to 200 people. And, uh, now let's pay attention to your thoughts. If your thoughts are, I don't have this memorized and I'm going to make a complete and utter fool of myself. It could be heart racing, stomach turning, turn into what emotion, anxiety, anxiety. Yeah. Because you're focused on who me. I'm like, I'm going to make a mistake. I'm going to look like a fool. I'm going to do it wrong. I'm a, okay. Now if my heart's racing and my stomach's turning and my thoughts are, wow, this could change how education and women show up in leadership. This is an opportunity that could change the future of the next generation. Same heart racing, stomach turning. But now it's about excitement. It's about energy. It's about, so do you see, you first have to be able to notice the data going on. You have to be able to decipher it. 
then you have to be able to use your thoughts on where you're focusing. And here's a tip that I'll say to anyone who uh, feels anxiety and wishes they could turn it into excitement. The trick that I use in this is whenever I have my heart racing and stomach turning and throat constricting, and I check in with my thoughts, like what's going on here? If I am more focused on me before I go out and speak or have a conversation, I shift from that into being in service to the audience. These people have put aside their time, their energy. They could be anywhere in the world, but they're going to be here. My job is it's okay if I make a mistake. I don't need to be perfect. What I need to be is in service. So good. I um, I have a similar process um, when I was in physical practice, I had a little sign in my uh, our little break room that said, it's all about them. <laughs> it, was in, it was in big words. But what you're describing is essentially how we are foreshadowing the future. So you could be that speaker. And if you are foreshadowing a negative outcome, I'm going to forget my words. I'm going to trip on stage. I'm going to blank. That's where the anxiety comes in. But if you're foreshadowing a positive future, I'm going to change the face of female leadership. I'm going to, this can be an opportunity to change one person's life in the eye. There's 199 of them that don't get anything out of it. They get zero, but one yeah. person is changed. I've done my job, let's say. Yep. Uh, yep. The way that you foreshadow, the way that you're thinking about the future, whether it's a positive mm -hmm. outcome or a negative outcome is going to direct essentially the emotion that you're like, whether it's anxiety or excitement, right? Because they're, I often say they're yeah. kind of the same emotion. It's, a, it's the same sort yeah. of energy. It's, yeah. It's, yep. Yeah. And, and here's the kicker. Am I going to focus about how I'm going to do and whether I make a mistake or am I going to focus on being in service to everyone who's spending their time listening to this podcast? Am I going to worry about, you know, my hair not exactly the way it should be? And should I be paying attention? Or am I going to shift into a space that is like, who cares? Like, these people have taken their time, their energy, maybe in the past mental, you know, they haven't really seen the connection of how mental is actually something that could supercharge them. Now that I get excited about, let's be in service. Let's give them something new. Let's let's have them have another experience, right? And all of a sudden, then it's about underlying being in service. And I want to I want to tell you one thing um, that happened to me because I think when we sometimes give up our own personal power, and I'll give you an example because that was an example that I did. I did a TEDx talk in 2012, so about 11 years ago, 11 12 years ago, and. When I did it, I, I only got asked seven days earlier. I was so nervous. I, I hadn't even memorized it properly because I'd only had seven days to get ready. Um, and I was so nervous. And I was all in my own world of anxiety. Like, I'm going to forget this. And this guy gave me a big hug. And he was one of the other uh, speakers. He was, a, um, he, he, he was a, one of the leads of Lion King on Broadway. And I didn't know him. But he walked up, he said, are you okay? And I said, can I have a hug? I don't know how I asked some man I didn't know for a hug. And I said, can you just breathe with me? And he said, absolutely. And he did it like as naturally as like, can you hand me a Kleenex? It was like, I, I was a little bit shocked. But when I was breathing with him was when I realized, I said to him, oh my God, 
I'm more worried about me. But when you go on stage, because he was the opening uh, speaker, you're in service to them. And he said, you bet. Let go of anything right now. Now it's about them. So there's a time when it is about prepping and it's about you. But there's a time where you have to equally be able to let go and be in service. So I, I did the talk. I got tearful twice during the talk as I was trying to remember everything and I was moved and it kind of surprised me. But at the end, what they asked me to do and all of us as speakers to do is go out and talk to the audience. And so when I went out and there's a line of people uh, talking, there's a Middle Eastern man, must have been in his early 30s. And I had spoken about how my trip to Saudi Arabia changed how I thought about their culture. And it really opened my world. And I was moved by that. And then the second time I got tearful, uh, well, one time, was, I'll tell you that in a minute, but I also got tearful at the end of my talk where um, I, my dad, who grew up in Hindu-Muslim conflict, didn't want me to go and was like, no way, they're not going to treat you with respect and honor. And by the way, they did. They treated me with great respect and honor. And at the end, when he said to me, is my daughter okay? Are you okay? Are you back in the U.S.? And I said, yeah, dad, they were amazing. And my dad says, I wouldn't have believed it if it wasn't coming out of my own daughter. So I watched him shift in that space and it moved me as I was telling the world, right? So this man walks up to me and he says, Dr. Sangwon, that was such a great uh, talk. I just wonder, can you explain to me why you had to fake cry in order to get attention? Oh, he thought you were fake crying on the, he thought that your tears were not genuine on the stage. Oh. That's right. Hmm. And I, this is where I knew the power of my mental, like I had shifted in my emotions and my mind and my own personal power because I took a deep breath in and I said, thank you for your feedback. It sounds like you and I have a different experience of what happened on stage. Was there anything else that I can help you with? And what I realized in that moment was, it probably was his experience of tears in his culture, maybe with his sister or his mother, that tears could have been used for manipulation or to fake cry to get attention. I don't know what it is, but you know what? I knew it was his, not mine. So that was his projection potentially from past That's experiences. Right. Yeah, yeah. So that's the power of understanding the mind and emotions. Because you know what I could have done? I could have done this. What do you mean? Like, uh, listen, and I could have, I only had seven days to do this. I, I, I think I might've been a little emotional because I could have gone, the moment you're defending yourself, you've lost any argument that you're in because you don't believe it yourself. Right. You're defending something else. So, so that is the power of your mind and your emotions. And all I've got to say is it will superpower your hormones, your physicality, your sleep. Um, if people want to know, like when they're sleeping, what's going on? Three main things. If you think sleep's a waste of time, let me let me tie this all back to your physical health. If you're someone who thinks you'll sleep when you're dead or sleep's a waste of time, what I want you to know is you're right. If what you're referring to is the external to-do list that's not getting done. 
But if you pay attention to your internal to-do list, your body has an entire internal to-do list to do every night. And here's the three main things it's doing. Number one, physical repair. So if you've worked out and you need some repair of those muscles, it's happening while you're sleeping. Also, immune repair. You want to be strong and you want to be able to fight off anything? Immune repair and physical repair occurs during your sleep. Second, memory consolidation. That you can integrate everything you've learned and commit it to memory during your sleep. Three, emotional processing. Your body knows that one of the most important things it can do for you is help you process any unprocessed emotions. Now, if you're someone who thinks you can get away with less than seven to nine hours of sleep uh, and you keep cutting off your sleep, guess what happens? Your body reprioritizes what it does first. And what do you think it does first? Um, I would probably say that it would shut down some of the higher brain centers that help with inhibition of emotions in the lower brain centers. No? Yeah, it's it it actually gives up physical repair and immune repair and memory and mm. it focuses first and foremost on emotional processing. Mm. That is the biggest danger to you. Can you imagine that? Like mm. it's a bigger danger than and that's why when people don't sleep, they're on a deadline or they're parents, they don't sleep uh, properly, what do they do? They fall sick. And then what's the first thing you want to do when you fall sli- sick? Sleep. Yeah. Sleep. And you're also much more testy. <laughs> like any yeah, parent, any parent well, yeah, you're much more testy when you're, and that's why I said, you know, the frontal, the sort of the PFC shuts down and then you're that's just right. m- way more irritable. But yeah, I would, I, you know, muscles grow at midnight. Like you gotta, you gotta, and like, <laughs> as you, as you were saying, like memory, all of those things happen, memory consolidation, immune system, all of that stuff happens overnight. Um, yeah. And this is something I wish parents knew because I only understand it now when little kids are playing with bubbles or their brother, and then you say to them, all right, it's time to go to school. And they say, I can't go. I have a tummy ache. And we, as parents say to them, I just saw you playing with your brother. You're fine. Get your shoes on. You're going to school. Mm. What your child just said to you was that their body was talking. When you shifted them and told them it's time to go to school and they have a tummy ache, you should be, you should get curious, not furious. And you should say something more along the lines of, honey, what's happening on the bus? Honey, what's happening at school? Why is your tummy hurting? And I think as adults, we've shut down the physical, our own physiology, our own body map. We've shut it down so much that we then teach our children to shut it down. But they don't have the verbiage to say to you that they're being left alone at lunch or they're being bullied or they're being made fun of or they're being mocked. They don't know how to say it, but I promise you their body does. And their body is trying to talk. So it's not just for you. The body's talking. The question is, are we listening? And if we did, might we get curious, not furious, and not think of it as something that's like annoying that's getting in the way? But what if we thought of it as our superpower of data, giving us a heads up, letting us know when something's wrong, letting us know about our intuition and how to trust ourselves more? Because I think in the world that we're in now, it matters. I think the name of the game now is how are you going to make 
quick and effective decisions without having all the data? And how are we going to need to pivot and change and navigate a world moving faster and faster with AI coming in and all of these things? How are we going to trust ourselves, be in alignment with our bodies and pick up these signals early? I don't want to see you in an ER. I want you to pick it up much earlier. I want you to notice on this podcast what resonated with you and how your body told you that it resonated. And if something didn't resonate, let that be true too. You know, I'm I'm a big believer that um, our professions choose us. <laughs> we don't we don't, <laughs> we don't choose our professions. And I think uh, you know, in your case, just understanding your story a little bit more, uh, it makes perfect sense um, why you are doing the work that you are. Um, I have a very good relationship with my medical doctor and, and sometimes she'll say to me like, heal thyself, doctor, you know, like, you, you know, you know what to do. Right. And uh, so I just wanted to reflect that um, back to you. Thank you so much for your time today. And if you just want to give people, uh, you know, more information about you, your work, your book, where can people find more about you and uh, where can they purchase a book if they are interested in doing so? Sure. Um, my business is called Intuitive Intelligence. And where you find me is intuitiveintelligenceinc.com. So I-N-C at the end there. And then nehasangwan.com. And you're going to find everything you need there from uh, the books to uh, podcasts and articles and, you know, everything, uh, all the ways you can learn and grow uh, will be there. And there are two books, one's on leaning into healthy conflict and the how our inability to communicate makes us physically ill. That's called Talk Rx. That's going to be more available right now on audiobook because I got the rights back from the publisher and I'm going to be republishing that. So we're kind of in the middle. So mm -hmm. if people have a hard time finding Talk Rx, it is on Audible. Uh, and then powered by me, you can find it Kindle hardcut, all of it. So Wonderful. yeah, I, I can't wait to uh, keep this dialogue going online. And I just have to say, uh, it's so fun to meet powerful, um, integrated thought leaders like you. Um, yeah, th that is one of the best side effects of the job that I do. So uh, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. All right, all right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And I must give you the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer here. This podcast, Better with Dr. Stephanie, is for general information only. And the advice, recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare provider's advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship that has been formed, and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. In other words, guys, be smart about this. Take it with a grain of salt. Take this information to your primary healthcare provider and have a discussion with him or her to make the best choice that is for you. Remember, I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. And these conversations are meant for educational purposes only.